Thanks, Neil. Hi, everybody. Was that for me or for him? I'm not sure what's going on there. Okay. 1,347. That is my best approximation to the number of times in my life I have participated in the activity called taking the offering. Now, my career in this activity began with enthusiasm and excitement. Every Sunday morning, my family and I would go to this large meeting with lots of people in a big white building. And most of the stuff the adults did during that time was pretty boring. Um, you know, they'd start with a guy standing up here and saying a bunch of stuff, and then, you know, people would stand up and sit down a couple times and sing a couple songs, and then the adults would go, you know, and shake hands with other people. Um, and then this guy would get up there, and he would talk for, like, a really long time. <laughs> and you know, that was my cue to, like, start counting the ceiling tiles, or um, I, would, I would take my watch and time how long I could hold my breath, or... Sometimes I'd, I'd take care of some personal grooming and, you know, bite my nails and spit them on the carpet. Um, never got caught doing that. Um, but there was this one point during this meeting where these crazy adults actually did something. And uh, you had to pay attention. It was easy to spot, but you had to pay attention. The guy standing at the front would give some kind of secret code or signal, you know, and these six to eight serious-looking men would walk to the front, you know, holding these large wooden bowls. They called them plates, but it was obvious they were bowls. Um, and, you know, the guy, everyone would kind of tuck their, tin, their chin into their chest and, and close their eyes, and then the guy would say a bunch of stuff. And then they'd start passing these bowls, like, back and forth, back and forth, down the rows. Now, if you, if you didn't zone out and you paid attention, that bowl would, you know, sooner or later get close to you, and you could actually, like, get your hands on it and pass it to the next person. Oh, what a thrill, right? But you, you did have to pay attention because that thing moved like a hot potato. For some, whatever reason, nobody ever wanted to hold on to that thing for very long. You know, it was just like Zoom. And if you were looking at something or you were staring at the ceiling still, oh, it was gone, and you missed your chance. Oh, no, the one thing I could participate now, the really good weeks were when you actually got to put something in that basket. You know, see, people were actually dropping pieces of paper and envelopes and things in there. And, you know, if you were lucky, maybe you'd get to beg mom or dad, oh, can I put, you know, can I put that paper in there? Or you might have to negotiate with your sibling a little bit. So, but all oh, the glory of dropping that paper in the basket and you know, pass it to the next person, you know? Now, at some point, all of that changed. What started as enthusiasm, excitement, moved at some point to uncertainty, confusion, and guilt. What happened? I got my own money. Right? <laughs> as soon as you have your own money, that, that whole passing the bowl thing takes on a totally different tone. And so I think, you know, a lot of us are in this place where, you know, you see that bowl coming and you're like, oh, you know, should I put something in there? You know, oh, did I bring my wallet today? Oh, I forgot to think about that this week or... How much do I put in that bowl? I'm not really sure kind of what to do with that. And, you know, you're, you're digging through your wallet, and all oh, but the thing zooms past you. Oh, shoot. Oh, I'll have to wait till next week. You know, whoa, whoops, you know. <laughs> Maybe it's like that. <clears throat> so that's kind of the question I want to talk about today is, what is it that God expects when it comes to, you know, tithing or taking the offering or giving to some, you know, Christian organization. What is it that God expects when it comes to our wallet? Um, 
What is God asking us to do? What is, is there some kind of standard that we're supposed to follow? So, um, we're going to turn in our Bibles in just a second to a passage of Scripture written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote a lot of the New Testament in the Bible. And we're going to look at a letter that he wrote to the church in a city called Corinth. And there's a lot of things going on that we don't have time to talk about. But this one um, part of the letter that we're going to talk about has to do with the Corinthians uh, had made some kind of you know, commitment or pledge or promise that they were going to give some money in a collection to a struggling group of believers in Jerusalem. And they hadn't really followed through on that. So Paul's kind of writing to say, hey, remember what you kind of committed to, you know, let's make that happen. And um, so we're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, if you want to turn there with me. If you have a smartphone, you can just, if you want, you can just Google that, 2 Corinthians 8, and it'll probably be the first hit. It'll take you right to a place where you can read along. So 2 Corinthians 8, we'll start right in the beginning of that um, chapter. Okay, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. He's talking about Jerusalem there. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So what is it that God is expecting, or what is the standard that he's calling us to? God wants us to give until it hurts. Now, look at this church in Macedonia. A couple things to notice here. It says that they gave beyond their means, right, beyond somehow what they were able to give, and they did it even though they were poor and in some severe affliction. I don't know what that is. It could be financial, something else, maybe persecution. Um, but they're obviously giving you know, kind of above and beyond what it seemed like they would be able to give. And the second thing to notice about them is that they did it willingly. They actually, it says that they begged, right, or they pleaded with Paul that they would be able to take part. And you can see what's happening there. Maybe they're like, Paul's like, no, you don't need to give. You guys, you know, you got enough hardship going on. But they're like pleading that they could give, right? It's, it overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And so uh, God is calling us to the same thing. God is inviting us to give until it hurts. And so the first point of that is that Giving is going to involve some, some sort or some form of sacrifice. That's what God, God is calling us to. Um, in the Bible, there's a, there's a couple passages I put up here. If you can, if you can put up um, the first one, the first slide there, Galatians 6. Uh, God calls us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, Jonathan Edwards commented on this, famous New England pastor, and he said that it's hard to bear someone else's burdens without being burdened. Makes sense, right? Uh, another verse, this is pretty well known, but Matthew 10, right? Jesus calls us to, right? whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
So it shouldn't be surprising to us that there's some form of sacrifice or, or burdening ourselves with this aspect of our lives of giving. Now, um, before you write me off on this, I want you to think about, uh, let's just do a, a quick raise of hands. How many, how many of you have ever traveled outside of the country on some kind of missions trip? Just raise your hand, put your hand up. Yes, perfect. Okay. So, yes, this is a setup. Um, if you've ever gone overseas, you may have experienced this. My guess is at some point you may have been invited into somebody's home, somebody gave you a gift or, you know, prepared some kind of large meal for your group. It's happened to me a couple times in Mexico and other places. Um, what's interesting about that is that usually when you're traveling somewhere else in the world, they usually have less money than you. And that's part of the reason you're there. You're building a school for them or a church or you're doing some project. But it's just amazing that even though people don't have enough money, so to speak, to give you something, somehow these people scrape it together and present you with this overflowing gift of you know, gratitude for why you were there or grace. So before you just kind of write this off, remember your experiences there. They're important. There's always something that we can give, and there's always a sacrifice that we can make. And that's what God's inviting us into. Now, the other thing to notice is that... Um, in the very next verse, sorry I didn't read this part, but verse 8, it says, I say this not as a command. I say this not as a command. And so it's important to understand that, hey, you're not obligated to do this. There is no obligation. The Old Testament is kind of a different story. Very clear, you have to give 10% of your earning. And there's these other festivals and feasts where you have to bring this goat, and you've got to bring this you know, grain offering, and... All these things. It's kind of easier back then. You just knew exactly what you did and you just follow the rules, right? But it's different now. Right? You're not obligated. Okay? We're, as Neil talked about a couple weeks ago, we're, not, we're no longer slaves. We are sons and daughters. We are called friends of God. So what was a command now is just an invitation. So let me just cross out that word that I said earlier, which is expect. Let's just throw that away for a second. Okay? It's not what God's expecting you. It's not some, he's not pulling out a ruler and he's measuring how much you're giving. This is an invitation to something awesome. God is inviting you into this, this amazing thing called giving. I'm going to tell you why it's amazing in a minute, but just stick with me. Okay? So it's not a command. It's not an obligation. Now, there are some things in the New Testament that talk about, hey, we do have an obligation to support these people that are serving us. So, I'm not, I'm not just saying there's, there's nothing at all by way of, hey, we need to pay these people that are working and serving on our behalf and, and you know, feeding us the word on a regular basis. So as you walk out, you can just hand your wallet to my wife, Jade. She's sitting right over there. Okay, just, for the sermon. just kidding. Sorry, bad joke. Okay. Um, but the point is, yeah, there is some obligation. But can we do, let's just set that aside for a second. And also, you know, I think it, it may be tough to make a case to tell you to give 10% from the New Testament. I think it's kind of hard to do that. Um, but again, this is not an expectation. This is an invitation. It's an invitation into what God is doing in the world and for you to take part in it. And there's huge blessings when we do. So, you know, the example that I gave in the beginning about, you know, kids, you know, passing the offering plate. If you've ever seen it, you know, our kids kind of leave before we do this here. But have you ever seen like a row of kids get the offering basket? You know, that thing takes forever to make it down that row. Every kid's grabbing that thing and they're looking in there. They're passing the next one. You know, that's the place that God wants us to get back to. 
is excitement, enthusiasm, and he wants to throw away the confusion and the guilt and the uncertainty about it. This is a gift that he's actually giving to us through our giving. So God is inviting us to give until it hurts. He's inviting us to give sacrificially, to to give in such a way that uh, it actually is going to cost us something. It may be a burden to our budget. That's, that's kind of the goal that God is getting. Not a standard, not an expectation. This is a goal and an invitation. So with that question then, oh, sorry, let me, let me throw up this next slide. Uh, yeah, this chart. So it's not a command, and this is why we don't do this in our church. Okay? <laughs> We don't track at what everybody, you know, gave in 2013, and we throw it up on the slide and say, all right, Bakers, good job. Yeah, Miriam's doing good. Okay, Crasses, way to go. Rocking it. You backers, pretty good this year. Yeah, you're in second place. Oh, Carlson, we need to have a little chat after this service, right? Okay. So we want to throw away the ruler. This is an invitation. Okay, it's not, it's not some obligation that God is throwing on you. If you're feeling guilt about it, you need to dig a little deeper and figure out what's going on inside of you, okay? All right, so if we're not obligated, right, if this isn't some command like the Old Testament where you've got to give 10%, then, hey, why should I give anything, right? All right, I'm free. Thank you, Jesus, right? I'm under the new covenant. Now i got lots of money. So what's the point, right? What's the point of giving if, if there's no, you know, expectation, Standard if it's all just kind of, hey, whatever you feel, whatever you feel you can give. Okay, well, I got uh, a few reasons for you. Okay, we're going to give until it hurts, until it doesn't hurt. We're going to give until it hurts, until it doesn't hurt. And we're going to give sacrificially until we get a change of heart and it doesn't even feel like a sacrifice anymore. So the Lord is inviting us to give and give and give. Until giving is so awesome and we understand so well the blessings of giving and what comes when we give that it's no longer a burden. It's just an amazing thing that I get to do. That's what God's inviting us to. Give until it hurts, until it doesn't hurt. Now here's four reasons why we should do that. Okay, Let's read the next couple verses in this section. Paul's going to spell out three of them here and then we're going to jump to another passage. He's going to give us one more. So Paul, again, verse 8, chapter 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that, you also, that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So there's the beginning of what they had committed to do for the gift. So verse 11, so now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness... Your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Okay, so the first reason we see in this passage, right in the beginning, is if you love God, you will give. 
Paul says it's a proof of your love, okay? It's a proof of your love for others, specifically for the Corinthians. It's the proof of their love for the people in Jerusalem. And, and as the Bible says elsewhere, right, how do you love God? By loving others, right, and obeying his commands. So there's no, you know, you can't separate those two things. So if your love for God is genuine, you're going to be motivated to give. Now, um, essentially Paul's saying, he's encouraging Corinthians, hey, put your money where your mouth is, right? That's what he's saying. And, um, you know, Jesus probably said it best in Matthew 6. You're probably familiar with this verse. There it is, okay. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? A lot of people have heard this verse. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, wherever you put your money, that's what you're going to love. Wherever your paycheck goes or whatever you're buying or spending your money on, your heart goes towards it. Last weekend, Jade and I bought a Vitamix blender. Yes, I'm telling you that in a sermon on giving. Isn't that amazing? Okay. So, true confessions. They're really expensive. You don't know what they are, but they are amazing. You can put carrots in there and it will liquefy them. I don't know if you ever tried that in like a normal blender, but it makes your smoothie awful. It's like these huge chunks of carrot. Anyways, okay. So a Vitamix blender is really expensive, but now that I've spent all this money on it, I just like love this thing. I'm using it every day. Um, I'll just tell you one more cool thing about it. You can throw apples in there with some water and turn it on, and five minutes later, you'll have hot apple cider. The thing spins so fast that it heats the liquid to like a hot beverage temperature. Precisely. It's amazing. Ask Matt Schilling. He experienced that last week. Okay? There you go. Okay? The man loves apples, too, so a little bias there. But. Okay. So, anyways, the point is, right, we spent a lot of money on this, so now I'm, like, really careful with it. You know, I take care of the thing. I wash it out real careful every time. I never did that with the old blender. You know, it's kind of like, all right, I'm done with this thing, you know. So, wherever you put your money, right, your, that's, your heart is going to go towards that because you've made an investment in it. That's what Jesus is saying, right? And this is why money matters so much. You know, money matters because where we put it, that's where our heart goes. And Jesus wants our heart. So he's saying, hey, look, you've got to think about the money because I want your heart. I don't, you know, I don't, Jesus doesn't really care about the money. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart, but he knows that wherever you put that, that's where your heart is going to go. Um, another example. Elizabeth Gilman's going to India. <laughs> Come on, Right? Now, you can tell Elizabeth, hey, I love Indian people, and I know I'm so excited about what you're doing, and yeah, I love you, and I support you, but, you know, put your money where your mouth is, right? I mean, how much do you really care if you're not willing to burden yourself with a little extra expense every month to send her to India so that people, the, the country that has more unreached people groups in the world can actually have a chance to hear about Jesus, right? If you're not putting your wallet there, Maybe question how much you actually think about that. Now, obviously, you know, you can, if you prayed for her every day, I think she'd just take that, too. But you see the point that Jesus is making here, right? It matters where we put our money, and it reveals what we actually love. So the point of all this is, hey, you know, Paul is saying, hey, if you, if you love God, if you really love his kingdom, your wallet is going is to be a testimony to that, your budget, okay? And again, we're throwing off the guilt here. We're not measuring. It's not a ruler, Okay? It's just, what is God calling us to give? He's inviting us to invest in this. Okay, reason number two. All right, giving is a way to remember, imitate, and become like Jesus. It's enough right there. Giving is a way to remember, imitate, and become like Jesus. Look at what Paul says. 
Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Right? Jesus was in heaven with God the Father. He chose to become a baby, a vulnerable human being, subject to you know, death, ultimately just ridicule, ridicule, despair. He gave all of the stuff that he had in heaven up he became poor so that we could become rich. Right? He gave it all up for us. So that now we, just by simply putting our faith in Jesus Christ and receiving his sacrifice of dying on a cross, we get forgiveness of all of our sins and we receive a relationship with God. And we throw the rulers away, right? And we're no longer slaves and servants, as Neil was saying. Now we are sons and daughters and made friends of God. Right? So any small act of giving that we do is reliving or reenacting the incarnation of Jesus. Anytime we give to somebody else, we are doing what Jesus did. We are becoming more poor right, so that someone else can experience the richness of God. Right? And as we do that, right, we're imitating what Jesus does. Through his whole life, we're, 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 we're becoming like him. Because the more we do those things, the more God gets a hold of us and transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. So every small act of giving is reliving and reenacting the incarnation of Christ. The ultimate wealth to, like, sorry, yeah, wealth to poverty story, right? It's the reversal of the American dream, isn't it? Wealth to poverty so that other people could go from being poor to rich. So that's reason number two, okay? Reason number three, giving is a way for us to take part in increasing God's kingdom reign on this earth and therefore his glory. So when we give to the church, when we give to you know, support people's salaries that are preaching, teaching, and reaching people in our community, right? we are increasing God's reign on this earth. We're empowering people to do that on our behalf. We're paying people to do it. So Elizabeth's going overseas. If we give her money, we're supporting someone that's going to spend all of their time and their life, right, to share the gospel with people so they have a chance to hear about Jesus. So it's an investment in God's kingdom. So Paul's calling the Corinthians to do this in some small way, to give this gift to the church in Jerusalem. And you can, you can kind of imagine what the result will be if they actually follow through on this. We don't know if they did or not. Paul makes a pretty convincing case, so maybe they did, but... Um, Right? The church in Jerusalem is struggling. They receive this gift. There's going to be praise, right? Oh, man, God's meeting our needs. They're praising the Lord. They're giving thanks to their brothers. There's, there's increased unity. God's receiving more praise, right? And any time that, that someone comes to know Jesus, there's an increase. There's one more worshiper of the, of the living and true God on this earth. So as God's kingdom increases, the Lord receives more glory in the world. Now, um, it has been said, be smart, buy eternal. Yeah, okay. It was a sermon I preached a couple years ago, so it wasn't that memorable, I guess. But, okay, be smart, buy eternal, right? It's just money. When it all comes, it's just money, right? It's amazing that we can use money to have an eternal impact on people's lives. You can use something that will burn one day, will be gone, will be worthless. If our economy crashes, it'll be worthless sooner than that, right? And you can invest it in something that will last forever. 
in someone's life that will be changed. They'll, be, they'll hear about Jesus because we're giving to make that happen. When I was in, uh, sorry, 1992, 1992, I've got to set the numbers first. I was in seventh grade, okay? This was also the year that Shaquille O'Neal was a rookie in the NBA. Now, for those of you that were alive at that point, um, <laughs> Shaquille O'Neal came into the NBA with a big splash. He broke a bunch of backboards. I think he did it like three or four times, and he was just awesome player. You know, I was like, whoa, Shaquille O'Neal, you know, in seventh grade and playing basketball. I'm like, yeah, you know? So um, I, my dad was really into, like, collecting coins and stuff, and I was kind of into that. But there was, there was a little bit more of an allure to collecting basketball cards. And we got this, my dad got this magazine that was, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was, like, you know, coins and, like, cards and other collectibles and stuff. And there was this Shaquille O'Neal rookie in there that was, like, $70. I was like, wow, I want to buy that Shaq rookie card. It's going to be worth so much money in, like, 20 years, you know. I'm like looking at this old Beckett guide to basketball cards and he was that collected those. And he's like Michael Jordan rookie. It's like, you know, $1,236. Like, wow, you know, that's only 86. I was like alive. I could have had that card. You know? So I bought this card, you know. You look at the value now, it's probably like five bucks, you know, because people just don't collect basketball cards anymore. So what a silly investment. If I had spent that on silver, you know, the price has, has probably gone up 200% in the last, you know, 15 years or whatever. So should have listened to my dad on that one. The point is, right... Yeah, we're, we, we're making investments with our money. What are you investing your money in? Okay, Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust, it can't touch it, right? It's eternal, eternal reward when we give. It's investing in God's kingdom. It could make a, a difference for someone for, for all eternity, forever. Okay, let me give you one last reason. We've got to go to the next passage for this. So turn to chapter 9. Okay, there's a, there's a short section I'm going to skip in this passage because Paul's just going to be giving some kind of some details about uh, the gift, that how it's going to be administered, and he's kind of saying, hey, we're being responsible with this. I'm going to send these guys to you. Two people counting money is usually a better idea than one. Um, and just kind of giving some general instructions. So now go to chapter 9, if you would, verse 6. This is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Okay, Paul says the, the point is this. That's nice, isn't it? He says, hey, here's the point, Okay. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So again, not a command or an obligation. This is an invitation. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And when it says that, it just means, right, God is delighted when we give cheerfully. He's not saying he loves givers more than others. You're loved, right? God loves you. It's not a measuring stick. It's not a standard you have to live up to. God loves you. But he's delighted when we give cheerfully. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply, will, will, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Again, glory, God's glory increases. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. It's meeting people's needs and it's increasing God's glory. 
By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Okay, so reason number four is this, right? Giving is a statement that we trust God to provide for our needs, both financial and emotional. When we give, it's the most tangible way that we can tell God we love him. And we trust him with our lives and our needs. Now, there's a lot of common thought patterns that come up when we think about giving. Here's a, here's a couple. Okay? One is, hey, I don't have enough money to give. I'm barely scraping by right now and paying my bills. Another thought is, I need to sock some money away for a rainy day. Right? What am I going to do if, fill in the blank, some emergency happens? Or, you know what, I really got to start thinking about retirement. I got to put a lot of money towards that. For some of us, it's, it's another thought pattern is just, well, hey, I kind of wanted to spend that money on a Vitamix blender, right? Or I've been saving up for this thing. Or, you know, I got $20 in my pocket. You guys don't know that song? Okay. Um, no, yo, I wanted to go out to eat with my friends after church. I can't drop it in the offering plate because I need that money. We're going out to dinner, right? Um, Another one is just, you know, hey, I'm going to think about that later. You know, I don't, I, you know I, I don't have a family right now. I'm not married. I don't have kids. So I'm just going to kind of push that whole responsibility with money thing over there. Okay, I'll figure that out later on. So the problem with all of these thought patterns is they all fall, uh, they fall into a trap. And the trap is if I had just a little more money, I just had a, just a little more money, I'd be happier. I just had a little bit, you know. Just a little more money, kind of ease some of this over here. If I just had a little bit, you know, I'd be, I'd be a little happier, you know? That's a trap. It's a trap, and it's a good one, because there's a little bit of truth that seems to be in there. Because it could be true, it might be true, that if you had a little more money, life would be a little easier. Right? It might be. Okay? You could have an easier time paying that mortgage payment every month, or you wouldn't have to worry about your college loans, or... You know, you just wouldn't have to worry about how to pay the electrical bill or whatever it might be. Yeah, if you had a little more money, you know, maybe you could go to, you know, a nice place to eat once in a while and take your your wife or girlfriend out on a date. So, yeah, could it be a little easier? Yeah, I think maybe that could be true. But that doesn't mean you're going to be happier. Because the real trick happens when you get to that next level, but then there always seems to be another level. You can never actually get there. And that's the trick. And the other thing is that money's not going to make you happier. Now, we all know that is true, but that thought still goes, I mean, if I just had a little more, I would be a little happier. One of the, um, one of the best teachers I had in high school, his name was Mr. Turner. Now, I've got to describe this guy for you. He was 6'5", kind of balding, big glasses, but he could bench 300 pounds, I saw it, and run a mile in under six minutes. Dude was a beast. And he was a beast in the classroom, too. I had him two times. I went to a small public school, and I had him freshman year and senior year for geometry and calculus. And he would just assign the section. He'd be like, read the section, do a bunch of these problems. And it was basically an hour every night. It was like, oh, Turner's homework, an hour, an hour, an hour, you know? And it was just tough. Like, you had to figure this stuff out for yourself. It wasn't like he was staying there teaching you. But actually, I remember that class, and it was a good class. I learned a lot. And... I mean, maybe fun is a little extreme, but I guess not if I became a math teacher. But it, it kind of got to be fun, right? And 
I actually had him as a basketball coach, too. He was, he was an athlete, as you can guess. And his practices were tough. You know, he made you sprint and run and, you know, do all this stuff. But there was some of the best teams that I had been on in high school was, was playing for him. Um, so all that to say that just because something's easier doesn't mean you're going to be happier with it. You know, you can think of maybe some other classes that you've had in school in your career that were kind of easy, but they were just lame because you didn't have to do anything. It was just like I didn't really learn anything with it. So just because it's easier doesn't mean it's going to be happier. Don't fall, don't fall trick to that. So what does Paul say in this, right? Um, he's basically pointing us to the fact that when we're falling, when we're susceptible to this, this, this trap of like thinking that if we have a little more money, we'll be happier, we're really making muddy an idol. And if that doesn't make any sense. It means like we are saying, hey, money, you're going to save me. And money, you're going to make me happy. You're the one that's going to, you know, rescue me on a rainy day when I have an emergency. That's money. Money's going to do it for me. And, you know, if I have a little more money, it's, you know, I'm going to be able to buy all these things. It's going to make me happy. When we, fall, when we fall to that trap, we make money an idol, which we only can really serve one God at a time. Right? Jesus says you can only serve God or money. Right? So we're removing God from the, this place of putting our faith in him, and we're putting it into money. Which, you know what, really can't, can't save us in the end. You know, if you think about it, I mean, any one of us could die tomorrow, right? Money's not going to be able to save you from the ultimate, you know, fall of this, of this planet and our humanity with a curse of death. Jesus is the only one that can do that. I think he can probably save you from just about anything else, too. He can raise you from the dead. So money cannot save. We just, we just need to see what is happening in this trap. And it's, it's Satan. It's all lies. It's all the ideas that are happening in our mind. That's how he's deceiving us is that money cannot save us. Um, can we put up uh, Deuteronomy 8 up there too? Yeah, so here's just the Old Testament. Moses is talking to some people, and he's saying, Hey, beware. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Everything we've got comes from the Lord, whether we want to admit that or not. Right? All of your education that's gotten you that good job and you make all this money, that wasn't really you. If you had been born in some other country in a little hut somewhere, you wouldn't have had that. Right? It's because of all the stuff that you've inherited from your family, right? this country, all the opportunities that have been given to you. Wealth comes from the Lord. And so he is the one that he rules over money, right? It's not his God. He doesn't need it. He's got it all. <clears throat> so Paul is giving us this all other life principle that I want to kind of throw in here as well. He says, if you, whatever you sow, if you sow generously, you will reap generously. If you sow, what does he say? If you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. There's this general principle that seems backwards. It seems like, hey, if I just kind of hold on to all this stuff, I'll be safe and I'll be happy. But it's the exact opposite that's what's going to bring us life and happiness. And that is giving away with open hands. Look at this passage in Proverbs. It says it's awesome. This is Proverbs um, chapter 11. Don't have it? Should have memorized it. Uh, 
Who's got a Bible? John, you turn there and you can hand it to me in about two minutes. I'm going to come back to it. Okay, so sometimes in my mind I think, man, what if I had all the money that I've ever given away to like church or some charity? What if I just had it all right now? Anybody else ever think about that? It's like, oh man, that was a lot of money, you know? What could I do with it? You know, I could like put a huge chunk of that down and like pay down my mortgage or, you know, pay off some college debt or, you know, buy a new car. Yeah, you know, maybe that's your thing. I don't know. But it's not really going to make me any happier. It's just a, it's just a trick. It's, if I had it all back, I'd probably even be a different person. If I had never given anything in my life, my back would probably be a little more like this. And, kind of miserly, just miserable, never giving anything away, right? Uh, do we have a picture that was up there of the Israel? If not, I can just go for it. You got that verse? 11.24? Okay, so let me talk about this, and then I'll, then I'll go to this. Thanks, John. So there's two bodies of water here. Um, at the top, you see the Sea of Galilee, and at the bottom is the Dead Sea. Now, the Sea of Galilee is mentioned a lot in the Bible. It's, you know, there's a lot of fish there and, and life, and there's fishermen that would fish in there just teeming with life. It's a very fertile place. And you can see there's a river that comes into that, and then the Jordan River flows out of it. Now, down there is the Dead Sea. Why is it called the Dead Sea? It's dead. There's nothing in there. It's just a bunch of salt, and you float really well. Okay? Isn't it interesting that the Sea of Galilee has stuff flowing in and out, but the Dead Sea doesn't? Nothing flows out of there. Proverbs 11.24 says, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. So the true principle of life, thanks John, is that when we give, we are actually going to receive, right? When we don't and we just hoard and say, you know what, I'm going to hold tight out of fear and just selfishness or whatever, we become like the Dead Sea. There's no life in us. So give until it hurts, until it doesn't hurt. When we give sacrificially, we are learning to trust God. And this is what it's all about on his end. Again, he doesn't care about the money. He just wants you to trust him. He wants you to be able to lay stuff down and say, all right, God, let's see how you're going to come through on this one. And Paul is reminding you, right, in this passage, it says... God is able to make all, a grace, all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He said that all three times, just as emphasis, right? He's trying to point out that God is going to give you everything you need to do His will. He will provide for you, both financially, for money, what you need, and emotionally. Your happiness, fulfillment, all those things are going to come from God. And it's, it's either this choice to kind of put ourselves in alignment with that and trust Him or just hold on out of fear and, and worry about how we're going to get what we need. So, again, let me just repeat this statement. Giving is the most tangible way that we can show God that we trust Him. 
It is. Do we really trust God? Well, let's give and see if we do. Give until it hurts, until it doesn't hurt. Until God transforms your heart. And it's just a joy because you see all these reasons of like, hey, it increases God's kingdom. I become like Jesus when I do it. Right? It it shows God that I love Him and that I trust Him. Okay, so where do you start? Okay, if it's not, you know, just, hey, this command to tithe or I have to bring this sacrifice at this appointed season, you know, where do we even begin? Well, here's a couple things. Okay, one is we need to repent from making money an idol. The first step is, hey, we need to repent and say, God, please forgive me for trusting in money instead of trusting in you. And the second thing, then, is to receive God's forgiveness and his love. So confess, hey, just confess, let it go. I've messed up in the past, God, I haven't honored you because I've said, hey, you know what, I'm going to trust in money, I'm not going to trust in you. Let's repent of that. And then let's receive God's love. Receive the, the truth that God will provide for your needs. Okay, thirdly, 